Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're all still well. I'm writing this on a very Monday-ish Monday. If you're listening on a Monday, I hope that it helps with any Mondayness of your Monday. It is a comedy, so that's good. And this one is still kind of funny, even though there are some large chunks missing. Um, not enough to make it impossible to follow, though. And honestly, writing the summary, I don't know that I really noticed the chunks that are missing. Um, This play is Amphitruo or Amphitryon um, by Plautus. It was written at some point in Plautus's career. Uh, Yes, we've reached the point at which we have a bunch of plays that are completely undated. So we are tackling them in alphabetical order because why not? Um, (laughs) This one is different than the rest of his plays because it tackles mythology, which does make me wonder if maybe it's earlier um, in his career, but there's no reason to presume that, honestly. Um, But maybe. But I think that's why it holds up a bit better than some of his other plays, because it tackles mythology. It is about Amphitryon, whose name may be familiar to you. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, The play is set in Thebes and features the gods Jupiter and Mercury, both in disguise, of course, um, and Alcamina. We've seen her in Greek tragedy. She's Heracles' mother. Um, Only now we're in Rome, so Heracles isn't Heracles. He is the more familiar Hercules, um, and Amphitryon is Alcmena's husband. Um, we've seen him in Greek tragedy too. So you'll note that most mortal names stay the same from Greece to Rome. However, most of the gods' names change. Um, so Jupiter is Zeus, um, and Mercury is Hermes, and as I've already said, Hercules is Heracles. Um, Amphitryon's slave Sosia and the pilot of his ship uh, Blefaro and Alcmena's maids Thessala and Bromia round out the cast. Um, I think I've named everyone. <laughs> As usual, I'm working from the Henry Thomas Riley translation, so it's not the most current of scripts, and again, it doesn't have a cast list, so... I think I've got everybody. Um, I don't have much else to provide in the way of background, so we'll take a short break before diving into the plot of this self-styled tragicomedy. The play opens in front of Amphitryon's house. Mercury is outside, disguised as Sosia. He provides a lengthy prologue. Uh, He introduces himself and the key players. His dad, Jupiter, is inside. He's disguised as Amphitryon so that he can sleep with Alcmena, Amphitryon's wife, which is what he is doing. Mercury is standing guard, which is why he's disguised as Sosia. The real Amphitryon and Sosia are off to war. Oh, and Alcmena is pregnant by the real Amphitryon and by Jupiter. So with twins. And she's reaching her due date. Well, sort of. She was already pregnant when Jupiter started sleeping with her, so her due date for one baby is approaching, which means the other will be born prematurely. Don't ask how this works biologically. It's a god that did it, so, you know. Um, But it's okay, because the premature one will grow up to be Hercules, so it's all cool. Sort of. Anyway, Amphitryon is coming home today, and that is what is going to be presented in this play. 
And this speech is significantly longer than this, but that's the gist of what Mercury has to say before the real Sozia enters. This leads to a lengthy scene in which Sozia talks to himself and Mercury talks to the audience before Mercury does his best to convince Sozia that he, Mercury, is really Sozia and Sozia is really, well, not himself. This goes on for pages and it's probably pretty funny on stage but it feels far longer than necessary when reading it as a text. The conversation ends with Sozia questioning his identity and exiting. Mercury soliloquizes about how well that went before he tells the audience not to worry about Alcmena's health or reputation. Jupiter will see to it that she has the easiest natural childbirth ever and that she delivers both babies at once so that no one will be the wiser to the fact that um, they have two different fathers. Jupiter and Alcmena enter from the house. In case you've forgotten, Jupiter is disguised as Amphitryon, so that's who Alcmena thinks she's talking to. She can't understand why her husband is leaving so abruptly, and Jupiter's making up reasons. The real reason, of course, is that he needs to leave before the real Amphitryon um, gets home. Mercury tries to help, which Jupiter doesn't appreciate, and Alcmena is finally assuaged when Jupiter promises that he'll be home sooner than she expects. She goes back into the house, and Mercury and Jupiter exit. The real Amphitryon and Sozia enter. Sozia wants to show Amphitryon, the other Sozia, who, of course, is no longer there. They go back and forth for a while over whether or not Sozia is drunk, which Amphitryon thinks is the only explanation for the conversation Sozia appears to have had with himself. They step aside, and Alcmena and Thessala enter. Alcmena tells Thessala how sad she is that Amphitryon has left. Amphitryon overhears this and is touched that his wife loves him so much. Nalcmina sees him and is confused that he's already returned when he only just left. Sosia tells Amphitryon that they should go back to their ship because it's clear that there's no breakfast left at this house, um, which may be the oldest example of a joke about a woman's pregnant belly being confused with a full stomach. Amphitryon smacks Sosia over the head and tells him that she was pregnant when they left for war and... Sosia grumbles about how now they're home just in time for him to have to go fetch water for the birth. After an extended period of asides, Alcmena and Amphitryon finally greet each other. He is thrilled to see her. She, not so much, because he just left and all, which really confuses Amphitryon because he's sure that he's been gone for about 10 months. There then follows another lengthy scene of confusion, resulting from the disguises the gods had donned at the start of the play. To prove that Amphitryon has been home, Alcmena sends Thessala to fetch a goblet that Jupiter gave her as a gift that very day, a goblet that the real Amphitryon had planned to give her. Socia notes that there were two Socias, and now there are two goblets. Just wait until there are two Amphitryons. (laughs) Amphitryon asks how she came by the goblet, and Alcmena reminds him of how he came home, and they enjoyed each other's company, and then he left that morning. There is clearly only one way this could have happened. And Amphitryon accuses Alcmena of being unfaithful to him because Amphitryon knows that he wasn't home. They agree to let Nocrates, um, Alcmena's cousin and one of Amphitryon's crew, decide the matter. Amphitryon exits to felch Nocrates and Sosie and Alcmena and exit into the house. Jupiter enters, still disguised as Amphitryon. He tells the audience that he's come to help Alcmena and then hides. 
Alcamina enters. She's distraught and has decided that it would be better to leave Amphitryon than to live with his accusations. Jupiter knows that this is his fault, so he steps forward. Elkmina is not pleased to see him. After all, didn't he just leave to get Nocrates? So where is he? They go back and forth for a while, and then Jupiter sends Sosia to go fetch Blafaro, Amphitryon's pilot, to join them for breakfast. Alcmina exits into the house, and Jupiter follows shortly thereafter. Mercury enters. He tells the audience that he's come to help cajole Amphitryon, but he needs to change clothes and climb up onto the roof first. He exits. Amphitryon enters. He grumbles that he couldn't find Nocrates anywhere. He goes to exit into the house, but finds that the door is locked. He knocks and calls out for someone to let him in. Mercury enters on the roof. He's drunk, or at least he's pretending to be drunk, and he tells Amphitryon that he's Sosia, and there is an extended scene in which he taunts, berates, and throws things at Amphitryon. Think think the scene in Spamalot or Holy Grail where Arthur and the Knights besieged the French, French castle, minus the cow. Um, Amphitryon asks why Sosia would treat his master so, and Mercury says that his master, Amphitryon, is already home. So this man, the real Amphitryon, is clearly an imposter. This is another very long scene that is probably a riot on stage, but it's just really long when you're reading it. <laughs> the scene finally ends with Mercury exiting to fetch uh, fetch the, well, what's he calling the real Amphitryon, but the one that's really Jupiter, of course. Plafaro and Sosia enter. Sosia is explaining that somehow there are two Sosias and two Amphitryons, so who knows if now they're going to find two Blafaros. Meanwhile, on the other side of the stage, Amphitryon is talking to himself about how Sosia accused him of being an imposter. And Sosia overhears this and tells Blafaro to mark his words so they can address whatever has angered their master. This ultimately leads, again, no surprise, to another lengthy scene of confusion over who is the real fill-in-the-blank and who is the imposter. Amphitryon is furious to hear from Sosia that he, Sosia, was sent by him, Amphitryon, to fetch Blafaro. Blafaro counsels them to, um, to ask because clearly there is there's some sort of magic going on here. And Amphitryon agrees and knocks on the door again. Uh, Jupiter enters. So now there are two Amphitryons on stage. And Sozi and Blafaro don't know who to trust. Jupiter orders Sozia to go get breakfast ready, and Sozia exits into the house. What then follows is a scene very similar to the one between Sozia and Mercury, only this time it's Jupiter trying to convince Amphitryon that Jupiter is Amphitryon and Amphitryon is someone else, with Blafaro helping by first thinking one is telling the truth and then thinking the other is. And Blafaro finally asks to see this scar that's on Amphitryon's arm so that you know which one's the real one, and of course... Both Amphitryons are able to produce the scar, so Blafaro is at a loss. He tells them he gives up, and he exits. And Jupiter says he's going back inside, and he does. And Amphitryon bemoans this turn of events and resolves to force his way into the house, swearing that not even Jupiter shall prevent him, at which there is a clap of thunder, and Amphitryon collapses. Bromia enters and tells the audience how something strange has just happened. There was this clap of thunder, and when she turned around, Alcmina had given birth to not one but two babies, just like that. Just like, did you hear me snap over my microphone? I'm not sure. There we go. <laughs> um. <laughs> then, then she looks down and sees Amphitryon lying on the ground. She tells him to get up. 
he asks who she is and who he is. And she tells him she's his maid, Bromia, and he's her master, Amphitryon. They talk about the thunder, and Bromia tells him how Alcmena just gave birth to twins. But there's more. After the babies were washed and swaddled and placed in their cradle, these two serpents made straight for the children. Bromia saw them and was terrified, but it was okay. One of the children leapt from the cradle, grabbed a serpent in each hand, and killed them. And while all of that was going on, a voice called out to Alcmena. It was Jupiter, and he announced that this was his boy, and the other one's Amphitryon's. Jupiter enters from above, this time dressed as Jupiter. He tells Amphitryon that he should forgive Alcmena and go and be a good dad, and Jupiter exits. Amphitryon says he'll do as commanded, and then someone, unnamed, just some actor, tells the audience to applaud, and the play ends. This is a play that feels incredibly long as you're reading it, but I think it could still translate pretty well to the stage. All of those long scenes could be really funny if staged, um, although a director may choose to cut parts of it for length. Um, Plautus calls this play a tragic comedy because it seems wrong to make a comedy that features the gods. Um, now, we know that Aristophanes didn't shy away from making fun of the gods in his comedies, but whatever. Um, I do think that it's this feature, this fact that um, the play tackles mythology and not common people that makes it feel less dated and problematic than much of ancient comedy. Um, this is not to say that it's not problematic. I mean, the whole story is problematic. Jupiter has disguised himself as Amphitryon so that he can sleep with Amphitryon's wife. Um, like many of Jupiter's, shall we say, conquests, um, there is a significant question of consent. Um, it is it is a really messed up situation here. Uh, making, making her labor easy, making Alcmena's labor easy is the least Jupiter can do to make up for the fact that he tricked her into sleeping with him. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a, what it is. It's not until after, after Hercules is born that Alcmena knows that that was not Amphitryon on that. It's, it's described as this one long night, like Zeus, Zeus, <laughs> I'm so used to talking about the Greeks. Jupiter um, makes time stop, basically. So it's just one where they are. It's one long night. Um, so Alcmena doesn't even realize like a day has passed. Um, although it's obviously 10, mo 10 months because she keeps getting bigger. Um, and any of you who have been pregnant know how somehow you keep getting bigger and if any of you have been pregnant with twins I have not but my cousin has it is amazing how big you can get if you carry them to term um <laughs> it's yeah any human body's amazing anyway um I do also find it interesting that the story of Hercules killing the serpents is included in this play um and I'm not sure the thought behind including it um it really has nothing to do with the story of how Jupiter disguised himself as Amphitryon to take advantage of Alcmena's love for her husband. Um, 
And there's something that you should think of every time you read a myth about some hero killing a serpent, um, at least when we look at Western mythology. Um, Serpents are a frequent symbol in mythology. They represent something very specific, and that is women's wisdom. Um, And that's why you'll note that Athena frequently has a serpent with her, um, like curled at her feet because she's the goddess of wisdom, right? Um, you'll That's why you'll see um, like these Cretan goddesses holding snakes. They are a symbol of women's wisdom. Um, and so there are many stories that involve slaying a serpent um, because it's crushing, it's a crushing of women's wisdom and a separation of women from the power that comes with that wisdom. Um, So in Greco-Roman mythology, we see in this story with Hercules killing the serpents that Juno slash Hera sent to kill him. Um, We see it in the killing of the Python by Apollo and that cult moving from one dedicated to a female deity to one dedicated to a male deity at Delphi. We also see it in the numerous paintings of the Virgin Mary crushing snakes that supposedly represent paganism underfoot. So paganism, a serpent, is tied to women's wisdom. We can't separate the history of that relationship, the relationship between serpents and women's wisdom, from the serpents that we see in this medieval and renaissance and even later Baroque artwork. Um... So, for some reason, this play concludes with a reminder for women to remember their place in the patriarchal hierarchy that was ancient Rome. And, oh, it was a patriarchal place, people. Where do you think we got the term from? Um, <laughs> it was very... Um, so, it's, it, it, it's a tragic comedy, right? I know. I ended, I ended an episode on comedy on a really happy thought, didn't I? But, like I said, tragic comedy... So what do you think? How would you cast it? I mean, especially those twin characters, but they're not really twins. How would you handle that Mercury, Zeus, Amphitryon, Sozia deal? I, I'd love to, I really would love to hear from directors on that one. Um, I'm always curious about, especially with um, stage plays where, you know, movies, it's easy. You could cast the same actor to play both parts, right? But how do you, how do you decide on stage how you're going to, how are you going to cast it? How alike are you going to try and have people look? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this play, The Myth of Hercules, Monty Python. I mentioned Monty Python. <laughs> the blog is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read Book 17 of The Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.